Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. title for today's message it's anointing for battle anointing for battle father bless us with your word let it provide insight let it bring information that sets free let it deal a death blow to ignorance heavenly father and position us O god to walk into the victory that you won for us lord jesus at the cross in Jesus' name, together we say, Amen. Amen. Maybe like me, sometimes, especially in the earlier days of my Christian walk, as I read through Leviticus and Deuteronomy and some of the seemingly less exciting books in the Old Testament, I couldn't help now and again wondering what was all this for? Because I realized that, you know, God could have easily just started at the book of Matthew. Since it was all about Jesus, he could have started when Jesus came. So what was all this for? All these wars that the, that the nation fought. All the killings and the, all the sacrifices, animals, bloods being shed. What was all that for? And the Bible gives us a hint in Romans, the 15th chapter, the fourth verse. It says, such things were written in scriptures long ago to teach us. And scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. That's the New Living Translation. The King James Version says, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So what's all that stuff about in the Old Testament? Crossing Red Seas, fighting all kinds of tribes, all kinds of wars. What is all that for? Well, the Bible says it was for our learning. It was to teach us, the Bible says. The Bible says it was to encourage us to have hope in the 21st century, even though we are reading about things that happened thousands of years ago. And it's in that light that the, the Bible is written in types and shadows of a reality. So the Old Testament is primarily a type and a shadow of New Testament reality, which you and I are in. So what that means is that if I understand the Old Testament... I can glean from it, from the types and things that I can apply to the reality of life as a New Testament believer, living in London or wherever you might be in the world. So the Old Testament, if we talk about types and shadows, which I've, I've spoken about before, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament was a type or a shadow, if you want, of the New Testament church. In fact, it's instructive that in Acts, the seventh chapter, the Bible actually refer, refers to that in verse 38, where it talks about the church or the congregation in the wilderness. 
So for the Old Testament, it was Israel. For us today, it is the church. The Old Testament, Israel was called out, chosen by God. The church today is called out, chosen by God. And if we look at the life of the Old Testament Israel, we get so much insight into the church today. So Old Testament Israel was in bondage in Egypt. The church, you and I today, were in bondage in the world. Old Testament Israel had to contend with Pharaoh that held them in bondage. The church today contended with Satan that held us in bondage, in darkness. Old Testament Israel had Pharaoh's minions, his, his, his taskmasters. It was through his taskmasters that he oppressed Israel. The church today, before we're delivered, were oppressed by Satan's taskmasters' demons. Old Testament Israel was delivered by Moses, appointed by God for that particular task of deliverance. You and I have been delivered by a type of Moses. The reality, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when the Lord delivered Old Testament Israel, he was very clear. There was nothing ambiguous. In Exodus, the third chapter, verses 7, seven and 8, he said to them, he said, I have seen the oppression. I know their sorrows. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. In the same way that when deliverance came our way, God was very clear. The Bible says, he says in 1 John 3 verse 8, that for this reason was his son manifested to destroy the works of darkness. He saw that we were in darkness. We, he saw that we were in pain. He saw that we were in sorrow and he sent his son the same way he sent Moses. But this is the, the most important thing for this, uh, this sermon. He said to them that he was delivering them to bring them from that land, the place of bondage, to take them into a good and large land. He describes it as a land flowing with milk and honey. To the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. What did he say? This is really where the rubber hits the road. And please stay with me today because your anointing, the information you get is going to make this anointing the most significant you've had in your life. He said to, he said to us that I went down to rescue my people from Pharaoh. I rescued them for a particular purpose. I took them out of bondage, but it was so that I can take them in to a land. And he describes the land. It's a good and a large land. Somebody say, 
it's good and large. One more time. He says, it's to a land flowing with milk and honey. Someone say, it's flowing with milk and honey. Jesus says a similar thing for us, the New Testament church. He says in John 10 verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He says, however, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. The Amplified Classic puts it this way. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. So God said, I came to take you, nation of Israel, into a good and large land, a land flowing with milk and honey. But that was a type of re the reality that was to come. The reality that has come is that Jesus has come. God gave his son to take you and I into a place where we enjoy life, have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. That's what your Bible says. So for them, it was a promised land, physical land, a place called Canaan. That was God's plan for them. For you and I, there is land, yes. But this land is, is or are the promises that God has in the Bible. God said to Joshua, every place the sole of your foot treads upon, I have given to you. You will possess it. In a similar way, God has said to us, and is saying to us, these promises in the Bible, they are yours to possess. He says in 2 Peter, the first chapter, Verses 3 and 4. Now listen, listen to this very carefully. I want to read this from the Passion Translation. So we understand why we are contending. Everything we could ever need for life and godliness has already been deposited in us by his divine power. Can someone say amen? It says, for all of this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing him who has called us by name and invited us to come to him through a glorious manifestation of his goodness. It goes on to say, as a result of this, he has given you magnificent promises that are beyond all price. So that through the power of these tremendous promises, you can experience partnership with the divine nature by which you have escaped the corrupt desires that are of the world. What's the summation? God has given you magnificent and tremendous promises. He said to them, it's the land of Canaan. He's saying to you and I, there are some magnificent and tremendous promises that are yours to possess. I know some people did a study in the Bible and found out that there are close to 8,000 promises that God has made 
to you and I. 8,000 lands to possess. 8,000. How many know that's a lot of promises? And how many want to be like Joshua, who the Bible testifies, stepped into every promise that God had made him? If there's anyone who wants to be like Joshua, let me hear your amen. amen. So if that's the case, why don't we just step in then? 8,000 promises. Let's get on with the business of stepping into these promises. God has made them to us. He's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said it? And will he not do it? 8,000 promises from him. Why don't we just take them and get on with life? Well, again, we look at the type and the shadow. God said to them, I've given you this land. It's a good land. It's a large land. It's flowing with milk and honey. They got up to go into the land. And next thing, they found that there were some people along the way who were determined that they will not enter that land. So some of the wars I described, the fights that the Bible describes that they had, where with these people, these other tribes who were hostile, hated them, didn't want them to enter what God has promised. So a lot of the Old Testament history that we read in the Bible is these children of Israel contending with these hostile tribes, they, they fight the Amalekites, they fight the Hittites, they fight the Philistines, they fight the Jebusites, they fight the Hevites. They, they just fight and fight and fight. Because these tribes are determined that God might have promised you that land, but you are not going to step into that land. And the only way they got into the promised land was by fighting through the tribes, by victory after victory. Sadly, some defeats along the way when they didn't obey God and they learned life lessons. But they fought their way through until they set their feet on the promised land. In the same way, remember it's types and shadows and reality. We have the reality of these tribes. We don't fight physical tribes. As the Bible makes clear, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are not natural. Our battle is not in the physical. But let's not deceive ourselves. If the Bible is true in types and shadows, there are tribes that are determined to stop you and I from entering God's promise, promises for us. There are hostile tribes who hate us and don't want us to enter one of those 8,000 promises. Somebody says, how do I know that? I know that because amongst other things, Paul tells us that. He says in Ephesians 6 verse 12, we wrestle not, and like I say all the time, if it stopped there, 
then everything I'm sharing with you is, is irrelevant. If, this, if, the, if the scripture was we wrestle not, period, and we move on. But then it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But we do wrestle. We do fight. We do contend against an organized hierarchy of wickedness. Of hostile tribes. I call them persons that don't have bodies. They don't have physical bodies like you and I. But every other thing we have, the mind, the soul, they have. They have intent. And Paul says it's an organized hierarchy of wickedness. Hostile tribes, principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. And if you add to that the hordes of demons that are fallen angels that are that hate the Christian because their leader, Satan, hates us. You know that we are in a fight against wickedness that wants to stop us from entering God's promises. And sometimes they find willing agents in the physical who will cooperate with them, whose minds have been taken over by them, and who will join with them, be used by them to prevent you and I from entering God's promises. And if you wanted a picture of, 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 of what this looks like, you just need to read Daniel's story. And that's not where I want to go tonight, um, this morning, pardon me. But Daniel's story in Daniel, the 10th chapter, how Daniel set himself to fasting for three weeks, just like you are doing. And the same way Daniel got an answer, I pray these three weeks will bring you many answers. And now as he fasted and he prayed, eventually an angel came to him. This isn't a myth. This is the Bible. This is true. And the angel said to him from verse 12, from the first day you set yourself to pray, Daniel, God heard in heaven. Isn't that an encouragement to you and I? That when we pray, God hears. From the first day we pray, God hears. Can someone say amen to that? Amen. He says, and I've come in answer to your prayer. God heard. God sent me, the angel says. He says, but on my way, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Now, is this a physical prince? It's, it's, it is, this, this prince is one of the principalities, one of the tribes that Paul spoke about in Ephesians. Daniel, the angel said to Daniel, a prince withstood me, stopped me, encountered me. And he goes on to say, but thankfully, Michael, another chief prince on God's side, came to help me because I had been left alone with the king of Persia says, now I've come to bring the answer to your prayers. And then interestingly, he says to him, after giving him the answer, on my way back, they are waiting for me, but this time it's the prince of Greece that's waiting for me. Don't be fooled that life is in the natural. The natural always takes place after the spiritual. And so we understand 
that as Christians, we fight, we contend. If we don't contend, we can't enter the promises. It, it becomes wishful thinking if a Christian does not know how to fight. The Bible says we fight the good fight of faith. We fight, we contend, we wrestle, we stand against. But the beauty, and this is the beauty, is that we don't fight to win. We fight because we have already won. Can someone say amen? And this is what, this is the revelation that the enemy does not want the Christian to have. So he wants us to think that we are fighting to win. But please, I need you to understand, Jesus' house, that we are fighting to establish the victory that has been won for us. And the Bible makes it clear, Colossians 2 verse 15 that Jesus has disarmed principalities and powers and he has made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. He has disarmed them. He has made a show of them. What does it mean that he has made a show? He has exposed them. We know that he has disarmed them. We know that he has overcome them. We know that he has defeated them. We know that as we fight, we are fighting to establish what was won for us at the cross of Calvary. We celebrate the cross because we know that's our place of victory. Can someone say amen? amen. And like Baj mentioned when he was praying in fresh fire, had they known, they would not have crucified our Lord of glory. How can they have helped us to victory? But they did by crucifying him. Can someone say amen? So that's the case. What do we do as Christians to fight? How do we fight? And that's what I want to share with you. How we fight. In 2 Chronicles 20 verse 17. The word came to the children of Israel. Confronted by three different Hostile tribes. Jehoshaphat was afraid. What are we going to do? And someone will understand what I'm saying. Where you are overcome. Too many things happening on all sides. How can one person cope with all this? It looks like the enemy has decided that you are the one person that he must go after. The word came in verse 17. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them for the Lord is with you. What was the word? Position yourself. Stand still. And it's said many times in the Bible. In Exodus 14, verses 13 and 14, Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. 
And of course, that's exactly what happened. He took them through the Red Sea and drowned all the enemies. In the scripture that Paul gave us about wrestling, he then goes on to tell us how we wrestle. He says, take on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all, to stand. Someone say with me, stand. He goes on to say, stand therefore. So, how do we fight? We position ourselves. How do we position ourselves? We stand. So, what does it mean for the Christian to stand? Because that is how we fight. What does it mean for you and I to stand? We say we are contending for the higher ground these 21 days. Paul says we have to wrestle to victory. He says we have to fight the good fight of faith. We understand that there's an organized hostility against us that does not want you and I to live that overflowing life, to, end, to step into those 8,000 promises, to become who God has destined us to become. Does not want joy in your family. Does not want progress in your life does not want righteousness in the land, wants a weak church but not a strong church, wants to introduce fear instead of faith, wants to bring timidity, wants to make sure that a family is trapped in cycles of defeat and lack, wants to terrorize with evil and fear. How do we fight against this organized hierarchy of wickedness. Number one, by prayer. A Christian who does not pray is launch for the enemy. That's why the enemy will do everything he can to stop the Christian from praying. Because he understands more than most Christians that our power is in the place of prayer. In the place of prayer, we submit to God to fight the battle on our behalf. That's why at the end of that scripture, that scripture Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. So number one is prayer. That's why as a church, Jesus' house, if you search our DNA, the one thing you will find is prayer. We understand that is in prayer we exchange our weakness for God's strength. We understand that it is in prayer that we unleash the weapons that terrorize the enemy. We know that. And so I want to challenge your prayer life. Without a doubt, we've had too many words that have told us that this month of June is pivotal. There's an open door before us. But then we have also been told that there are many adversaries. And how are we going to deal with that? In the place of prayer. My brother and my sister, if there's anything that I can commend to you, it is prayer. If there's anything that you think 
drives my life, it is prayer. I know how to go to that place of prayer and stay there until victory is established. That's number one, how we stand in prayer. Number two, we stand on the word of God. That's how we fight. I'm telling you, how do we fight? How do we wrestle? On the word of God. The enemy does not mind a church that does all the right things but is not steeped in the word of God. And of course he understands. In the scriptures that Paul gave us about wrestling and putting on the armor, we find that the only part of the armor that is offensive, every other part of the armor defends you the helmet of salvation the shield of faith the breastplate of righteousness the shoes of the gospel of peace the belt of of truth that holds everything together all that cannot fight the enemy it can only defend you but how many know that to be to just defend yourself and to be battered 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 cannot be god's plan for life and when you get to heaven, you say, I took a good battering. How many know that's not an overcoming life? So we must go on the offensive against the enemy. Anyone who understands battle strategy will tell you that it's great to defend yourself, but victory does not come from defending yourself. How many watched the football game yesterday? How many watched it? Let's, let's see. Those of you in the hub. Let's see your hands, yeah? Those of you in the base, put up your hands. God sees your hands. Online, put up your hands. God sees your hands. Well, if you watch the football game, Inter Milan played a great defensive game. They locked down the game. That's why it wasn't an exciting game. But how many know they lost? Because it just took one offense and one goal. So they can say we were a great defensive team, but you don't have the, you don't have the, you don't have the Champions League Cup. May you win your Champions League Cup in life. And do so because you know how to wield a sword. Because Paul says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You have to become a skilled swordsman. You have to. It's the only way I know for victory. You've got to commit to that Bible. To reading it, studying it, believing it. If you don't know the promises that God has... How can you go and ask God for promises that you don't know? You have to at least know the promises that God has made to you. You have to know what God says he's going to do. Thank you. You have to know what God says he's going to do. <clears throat> and so you have to make it a lifestyle. The Christians who overcome, the Christians whose life we admire... If you ask them what one thing they do, they will tell you, I read my Bible every day. I study my Bible. Most of you here, most of you who are watching, have a degree or a diploma. And if you don't, some of the young people, you're doing your A-levels. So you know what it is to study. Have you studied the Bible the way you studied for that diploma, that degree, or the way you're studying for your GCSEs, 
or your A-levels. That's what it means. And then we believe the Bible. We obey the Bible. And the Bible does not become a sword until we put it on our lips and speak it. So confess the word of God. My wife, Shola, made a phrase popular within our Jesus House family. Speak the word. Speak the word. Speak it to that situation. The Bible says it's a sword. Another, in another place, the Bible says it's a hammer. How many know that there are some things that you don't need a sword for? You need a hammer to smash the thing. And it's the word of God. Number three, how do we fight? We fight by prayer. We fight by standing on the word. Number three, we fight by our praise and our worship. No time to look at it, but 2 Chronicles 20. An example of how we fight by our praise and our worship. Our praise is warfare. When we praise God, it, it makes God rise up to the praise. I mean, it's a no-brainer. You know, we're, we're, we're made in the image of God. You know, when people pray, that's why you have to run away from praise. I run away from praise singers. Because no matter how, how balanced you are, when people start to sing your praise, after a while, the thing starts to get to your head. Does that happen to you? Does that happen to you, you guys here? Uh, you guys in the base, does that happen to you online? This, even even, even a, a, a balanced, I think I'm a pretty balanced man. But that's why I run away from those people. Ah, because they be telling you, yeah, P.I. Ah, P.I., you're the best. P.I., there's no, no pastor like you, P.I. Ah, P.I., you did this, you did that, you did this, you did that. And I'm saying, oh, we thank God, we thank God, we thank God, we thank God, we thank God. Oh, we thank God. After a while, even that we thank God cannot deflect from the thing. You start to believe some of that stuff. It makes you feel good. That's why we run away from it. But that gives you an, 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 an idea. Our praise of God. We praise him. God responds. The Bible says he inhabits the praises of Israel, his people. He inhabits our praises. How do I bring God into a situation? By praising. I praise him and praise him and praise him until he comes into the situation. By worshipping him. I worship him and worship him until he looms so large that the situation now becomes a, a small thing against the backdrop of God. We fight by our praise and worship. Number four, we fight by our faith. That's how we fight, by our faith. Everything is trying to knock our faith. But we, we, we build our faith. We hold on in faith. And what is faith? Faith is simply trusting God. Can you trust God in that situation? Even though things in the natural are saying differently, can you trust him? That's a fight. That's how you stand. That's how you position yourself. So when God says to the children of Israel, go and position yourself, he's saying to them, go and pray, go and read my word, go and praise me, and go and believe that I will do what I say I will do. Have faith. I love the way the Bible describes Abraham in Romans 4, verse 19 to 21. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old. 
neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. That's an amazing scripture. The man was a hundred years old. Who has a child at a hundred years old? His wife was 90 years old. What woman has a womb at 90 years old? <clears throat> the Bible says her womb was dead. Can someone be encouraged? You think it is too late. You think it is too much for God. You think it is too complex. You think it is too deep. You think you are past the time. But look at Abraham and Sarah. They were all of those things. Yet the Bible says, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. You know what that means? The enemy is trying to throw things at us to cause us to stagger, to fall back. But the Bible says that Abraham stood on God's faith and everything the enemy threw at him, it didn't move him. May God give us that grace that we are not moved. Thank the doctor for the report, but the doctor is not the giver of life. Receive the letter about the business, but the silver and gold of the whole earth does not belong to whoever wrote that letter. Let them declare they have closed the door, but they have no, they have no right. It is God who decides which door is closed and which door is open. Hold on to whatever God has promised. He said, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. He believed what God said. Can I encourage you that part of positioning ourselves is to say, God has said the matter is over. It says he was strong in faith. And then listen to what he did. This is where praise comes in. He kept giving glory to God. <laughs> You can imagine him. He wakes up at 100 or 99 and he's singing, giving glory to God. And they ask him, what are you singing about? Yes, I'm thanking God for the sun that's coming. See, the sun is coming at 99. Are you sure you don't need those psychiatrists to check your head? Giving glory to God. His wife would be giving glory to God. That's why you must make sure that you find yourself in places that feed your faith. Because there are some places you go to, they cannot help you. Because when you tell them what you're standing on, they say, ah, it doesn't happen like that in London. No. This England is tough. You don't want to hear that. You want to hear people who will tell you that what God has said can surely come to pass. And the Bible says he was being fully persuaded. Maybe my legal background, I love that word. Fully persuaded. Fully persuaded. I remember someone who was close to me who was believing God to marry. She became so persuaded that she was married that one day she was walking into church, the true story, and they told her, oh, are you going for, there was a singles meeting. Are you going for the singles meeting? She said, oh, no, 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 I'm not single. And when she left, she thought, ah, no, but I'm still single. This is a true story. I did their marriage, so I know. I married her. So she thought, that's strange. I actually thought I wasn't. That's how you can persuade yourself 
to the level that in the natural people can think you're crazy. Because if somebody heard her, they say, what's wrong with you? When did you marry? But in her mind, she was persuaded that what God said is going to come to pass. I did the marriage seven years ago, thereabouts. And not just persuaded that it will come to pass, but that he is able to perform it. Please, he's able. He's able to give that child. He's able to open that door. He's able to bring that healing. He's able to save this nation. He's able. Number five. How do we fight? By living a holy life. You know, they want to take holiness out of life. They bring alternative lifestyles and all kinds of things. They want to make the word holy something we don't say. We can't get victory without living a holy life. The children of Israel, we talked about all their fights. One of them, Achan, stole some gods, some accursed things. Brought it into the camp. The children of Israel met another one of these hostile tribes, Ai. They said to themselves, we don't need many to fight these people. This is an easy one. So let everybody wait in the camp. Just 300 and something people go and deal with them. The people went. They, they, they beat them, killed them, came back and killed 3,000. No, 3,000 of them went. The, the men fled. They, they chased those 3,000, killed them, and then came into the camp and killed some more. Joshua went to God and said, what is the meaning of this? We are supposed to have victory. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 12. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy their curse from among you. There's a price to pay for not living holy. There's a price to pay for not living a life that is pleasing to God. The price is that we are exposed to the enemy and the enemy takes vengeance. He understands what sin does. That's why he wants us to sin. He knows that sin will cause a break in the hedge and the serpent will bite through that break. He knows, as, as the prophet says in Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. His ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. He understands that. And it's because of that that God says to us, Be holy, for I am holy. And yes, it's not easy. To be holy is not easy. <laughs> My God, it's not easy. In the middle of this fast, a few days ago, I was in central London. I was talking to Doc on the phone. And this girl walks by the car. Your pastor is saved, though. This story I'm about to tell you now. Some people say that pastor is not saved. Well, your own is probably worse than my own. You just don't say it. Very nice girl, nice looking girl of, of um, some Chinese heritage. And very well dressed. Very, very well dressed. She, 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 she covered up herself, dressed nicely. 
But when I looked at her, she wasn't wearing a bra. I could see all her nipples. I said, Doc, I'm fasting. You see what is, what is troubling, what is passing by me. I said, I understand why Job said I made a covenant with my eyes not to see. My whole fast was just destroyed. I had to now start to pray, God, cleanse my mind. Oh, God, cleanse my mind. And so, I understand the difficulty. Some of you guys are looking at me like, like it doesn't affect you. You're worse than me. I understand the difficulty. Where someone provokes you and you want to respond. I understand. I understand the temptation. To tell a little fib. Tell a little lie. To take something that's not yours. I understand the temptation when you're provoked. Is everywhere temptation on all sides, different kinds. But in the middle of it, God says, be holy, for I am holy. And what is holy? Let's not be afraid of the word. All God is saying is live differently, be set apart, consecrate yourself. Make covenants with your eyes. Don't do what others do. Because you're different. Be like me, apart. And so when we realize all these things, we come to number six. This is where I end. How do we position ourselves? We empower ourselves for victory. How do we empower ourselves? We can't. Because we understand, as the Bible says in Zechariah 4 verse 6, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So what do we ask for to make sure we have victory? Holy Spirit, enable me. Empower me. Empower me to live right. Empower me, Holy Spirit, so that I can pray. Help my prayer. Be my intercessor. Help me to pray, knowing what to pray. Empower me, Holy Spirit, to love the word of God. To be passionate about it. Empower me, Holy Spirit, not just to praise, but let my praise become a sacrifice of praise. And Holy Spirit, empower me to have faith. Help empower me to find it in the word. And give me the spirit of faith. Because faith is also a spirit. And when the Holy Spirit does that, you position yourself. That's how you stand. Standing still does not mean inactivity. No. It means don't take on the, the, the battle like you are going to bring the victory. Standing still means prayer, means study of the word, speaking the word. It means praising God, worshiping him, even when the circumstances are such that you shouldn't naturally. Standing still means standing in faith. Standing still means living a holy life. Standing still means receiving the empowering of the Spirit of God. You know, whenever God wanted, again, types and shadows, whenever God wanted to commission someone for an assignment in the Old Testament, he would call one of his prophets and ask that the person is anointed with oil. The oil was symbolic of the Spirit of God. 1 Samuel 16 verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, David, in the midst of his brothers. 
And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose and went to Ramah. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your word. With all heads bowed, before we trust God for an empowering by his spirit. If there's anyone who's here, or you're at the base, or you're online, and you don't have a relationship with Christ, the beauty about this relationship with Christ is that the oil just confirms what is inside. The oil comes on you to empower you, but already, if you have a relationship with Christ, the Spirit of God is in you. And if there's anyone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, you want to accept Him before you are empowered by the anointing of the, by oil. If you would just, if you're in here in the base, all heads bowed, in, in the hub, all heads bowed, please, if you would slip your hands up wherever you are. You want to give your life to Jesus. Start a relationship with Him. You want to accept Him as Lord and Savior. And Father, we just thank you, God, as people come to your Son, Jesus, and accept Him as Lord and Savior. Father, by their confession, O God, receive them into your kingdom. Wherever you are, if you would just confess that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Go on, just confess it verbally. Speak that word. Go on, confess it verbally that Jesus, you receive him today as Lord and Savior. We thank you. Lord, we bless you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. Father, we welcome, O oh God, into this family, O oh God. Those who have confessed Jesus, Lord, to, the, to your glory, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. And together we say, Amen and Amen. Amen. Go on, give God a clap offering for members who have joined.